This is the Championship Club Podcast, the show that shines a light on English rugby's second flight. Join us every fortnight and check us out on the socials at Champ Clubs Pod on Instagram and Twitter. Hello and uh, welcome to the Championship Clubs Podcast. I'm Michael Casey and on today's show we are reflecting on what has been a quite sad week for Professional Rugby Union. Some outlets have described it as uh, the game's darkest week. Of course, we are reflecting on the sad news coming out of both Worcester and Wasp that those clubs will certainly be no more for the rest of this season and their existence moving forward is, is looking very questionable. And obviously the sad reality of that is that many players, staff, uh, have lost their jobs and many more stakeholders left without a club that they've supported for decades, if not more. This is a Championship Club podcast and we will be reviewing and discussing uh, the situation, I guess, through the lens of a Championship uh, viewpoint. And I'm glad to say that I'm joined by a cast well qualified to hold that conversation. As I look at this Zoom screen to my left, I have Gareth Aura, the Chief Operating Officer of Bedford Blues. Directly below me, Rebecca Thomas, the Chief Executive Officer of Cornish Pirates. And to my bottom left, Nick Johnson, who is the Chief Executive Officer of Coventry Rugby. Nick, as someone who's obviously previously worked and been connected with Worcester Warriors and also obviously running a rugby club in the West Midlands, I maybe jump to you first to sort of, I guess, just assess your viewpoints or get your initial thoughts on what is obviously quite a, a heartbreaking and, and sad and um, bit of a damning moment from the sport that, we're, that we all love. Yeah, it's 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 really sad, and you know, and first and foremost, we need to send our thoughts to all those unfortunate people that are out of work today, and supporters that have got nowhere to go and cheer their uh, beloved teams on the weekend. Uh, you know, and, and it's, it's I live in Worcestershire, as you know, so I, 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 and I work in Coventry, so it's a really strange scenario, and it's sort of a domino effect. But you know, it it is worrying around the effects on the community in general. You know, we, there's a lot of businesses owed money. So, and they seem to be forgotten in a lot of the trailblazing headlines in the media, you know, and certainly in Worcestershire where I live, that there's a, there is a lot of money owed to small businesses. So hopefully they're all looked after and sorted out, you know, with them. And then we've got those sort of psychosocial bits that we forget about. Because for many people, these games are where they gather for their social gatherings and, and that's gone. So, you know, that's going to have an effect on the wider community. And, and I think we really need to, as a game, we need to think about that, not just the, you know, the loss of two teams, the, the high unemployment, you know, I think 167 at Wasp this week, wasn't it? And, and similar at Worcester, which is terrible because, you know, there's guys and girls who have got mortgages to pay. So hopefully that the right processes happen with the administrators and the right people are looked after, uh, you know. But, yeah, it is It is a strange environment, Coventry, Uh some really interesting comments you know some i think could have been avoided uh and not necessary uh but general sadness you know it's you know across the board and uh, let's just try and make sure they're looked after properly first is, is, is a message from, from Coventry rugby and myself i was going to open that up for if, if you obviously um nick's closeness to the situation both geographically in terms of his history but in terms of you know rugby fans and professionals within the space is it um Rebecca or Gareth Filty to jump in on this one are we we surprised by what we've seen in the last couple of weeks or is it something that perhaps you know as guys close to the game it's maybe something that on the back of of code and everything else that is is not the biggest shock in the world yeah echo everybody else's thoughts and Nick probably summarized it quite well obviously 
staff, players, supporters, and everybody involved is everybody's first thought, and it's a very sad state of affairs and 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 not good for rugby. And and we'll no doubt now talk about the reset button and where that needs to go. Your question about is it a surprise? Probably not. Is the truth of it? Um, if you're inside the game, I think certainly Coventry will have seen things and, and felt things. I think it's quite widely known of the challenges and the debt, um, not just by these two clubs. There's other clubs. Let's not forget that are facing problems. I mean, we've all faced huge issues over COVID. Um, I think the championship clubs have probably adapted very well. Um, quite hard not to when you only receive less than 150,000 essential funded. Um, whereas obviously they're playing in such, such larger sums. And yeah, it's, it's really sad and sorry um, for everybody involved. But at the same time, there is a guess, a bit of reality of, of not living by your means. And, and unfortunately, a couple have gone bang and hopefully this wakes up the whole structure before other clubs go that same way. Yeah, I think, you know, going through COVID and the fact that Premiership and Championship obviously continue to play through that time with no crowds, I think everybody's aware of the pressures that that the professional clubs were under um, financially, especially in the fact that, you know, support had to be sought through Sport England, which was loans and not grants, which again puts huge pressure on on the clubs all involved. Um, so I think it it would be naive to say that everybody was going to come out of it unscathed, but obviously it's still a huge, huge shock that it could happen to, you know, even one club, let alone two within such a short space of time. Um, you know, like you say, it's rocked, rocked rugby really over the last couple of weeks, and it is really, really sad for everybody involved. Yeah, I mean, it was it was a loaded question to a degree because I say as as people that have spent a lot of time around the championship, we have obviously seen clubs that have maybe come down this way, the likes of your London Welshes, your Leeds Carnegies, um, and, and that have dropped to lower tiers of, of of the game now. And as you say, Gareth, clubs that have sort of cut the cloths accordingly. I guess I'll, I'll kick off the conversation then before you, you mentioned it, the reset button and the restructure. Well, let's do that piece a little bit later, but first before we get into that, and this is not me trying to kick off a witch hunt or anything else. Obviously, Messrs. Goldring and Whittingham have come in for a lot of, right, deserve, probably rightly deserved stick in the media recently. But if we're looking at, let's say, governance and, and, and stopping more clubs going to the wall and like a financial degree of oversight, and I can, this can be applied from, you know, Prem down to Champ as well. Where do, what do we think we need to see sort of implemented to stop more Worcesters? more wasps, more situations as we have seen in re- recent years. Let me send that on to you, Nick. Uh, I think what the Championship Club should be quite proud of is that, you know, as we entered 2020, we were told unceremoniously that our funding was going to be cut by 50% on some pretty prima metrics and justification, in my opinion. You know, not return on investment, I think was one of them. Four metrics that we were never measured against or audited against. Uh, you know, what will we bring into the game, et cetera, et cetera. And I think they're all pretty flawed and I think well documented. My view that that hasn't got out there and I think needs, you know, needs to be put in the public domain is the smokescreen that the RFU put out about our funding and it was getting cut to 375, but then it was going to be phased because of the pandemic. And actually it wasn't. It was cut again by 50%. And and it was, you know, it it, it was the, the point that, that is horrific, you know, and at the same time, there was no cut to the premiership funding. 
and we've got to put this into into comparison. They've uh, over fifth over the last fifteen years, the RFU have given Premiership Rugby four hundred and twenty million pounds. You know, now they'll say it's part of a long form agreement and it's like that, but you know. My point being here is, is that people can't go on a public stage and say things that aren't true or are not quite accurate because nobody knows we're on 150k of funding in the public domain because it's never been published and it needs to be out there. It's horrific, you know. It is horrific, you know. And, and me and Gareth chatted last night a little bit, especially when they make you spend 18 grand to go to Jersey in the cup, <laughs> you know. And it's like, you know, and, and we're going off script a little bit, but it does. You know, I, I just don't think the whole picture has been painted out there. You know, if you if you want me to sum it up, we've got ineffective leadership at the RFU and the people that are supposed to represent the championship clubs. And that needs to change. First and foremost, that needs to change. You know, and there's mechanisms to do that. I'm sure we'll talk about that later. But we've done well to survive. Nobody's given us any credit. But as you said, we've cut our cloth. We've had to. But we're still here. You know, we... we Justification for losing our funding is because we had an average debt of 250k a club. Compared to what? It was five million at the time. We know it's a lot worse. You know, so you know, it's a real sore point for me, you know. And at the risk of sounding insensitive given the the sort of the events of the last week, I almost lean to say that this is maybe a premiership getting a taste of something that we've had to a, a, a pill far less bitter than something championship clubs have had to swallow for a long time. We should never lose sight of what we've got. We've got something that's special. And we don't tell ourselves enough of this. You know, we've got other issues to solve, and we'll talk about that hopefully through the podcast, how we move forward, because, you know, we've got to be aligned. And the governance for me is astronomical. You know, I did a bit of thinking before, and I don't want to hog the chat here, but you look through it, and, you know, Rebecca, you probably remember, Myself, John and Martin Hudson went to see Bill Sweeney and his senior management in February 2020 and asked for a review of governance. We're a promised one. Do you know what the review of governance was? They got our exec in the room and asked them what we'd said and, and then they left and said everything's fine. Now, that isn't a review of governance unless I, you know, m- maybe I'm wrong, but we were promised one. Nothing's changed. And since then, we've had all sorts going on. Promotion, relegation, you know. We have no minutes for meetings. The constitution is used and the, and the governance piece is used to keep people quiet or shush them up or go away. You're not a chairman of a club. You have, you haven't got an opinion. And yet the people that try and who say that are the ones that break it all the time. And it's obvious. Ten-game season in COVID behind closed doors. Brilliant. Let's play in the summer like the Premiership did so we can get some crowds in and earn money. That wasn't an RFU decision because everybody blames the RFU a lot of this. A lot of this is self self-induced it's from within yet we don't we can't account for it because there's no minutes there's no minutes between the rfu and the executive there's no you know, it goes on and on you know I, I don't know what anybody else thinks but the promotion relegation piece was farcical we we don't get promoted but yet we still have relegation and it was done on the grounds to protect their investments because of the pandemic i get that but we've all had the same levels of investment haven't we and yet we're still facing relegation technically. And hopefully it doesn't happen to any of us. But I'm a big believer in promotion and relegation, so I sound hypocritical. We have the same financial threats that we know better than anybody. <laughs> we know how tight things are, you know, you, me and Gareth. It's, you know, it's, you know, it's enjoyable, but hard work, isn't it? As they say, it's, you know, I just, 
I've got loads of things that have not been done properly. You know, it goes back to the, the AGM on, in, in 2019 at Twickenham. They were voting for the exec. They were asked to leave the room and they didn't because we wanted to discuss the nominations. They refused to leave. It was, it was, yeah. I mean, it was a fate to complete done the night before in the Marriott bar. <laughs> you know, but it's, you know, I, I know we laugh about it, but they're quite serious breaches, you know. I, 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 I you know, the, the irony of, uh, you know, I don't, I mean, this isn't a bashing of individuals because I think everybody tries hard and works hard, but it's whether they're well actually equipped to do the job. And there's a difference, and we'll maybe talk about that later. You know, but the irony of Sweeney's email at the week, uh, interview at the weekend, I mean, was the championship and are really important to us. Well, it's the first time you've said that in three and a half years, Bill. You know, so I'm really intrigued to see why we are. And, and is it because there's now a commercial custody battle going on between PRL and the RFU? Because that's what's going on, you know. And, and what they don't like is PRL want to talk to us, clubs. Because all of a sudden, we've become very, very powerful. We've got to seize that opportunity. You know, they'll dismiss that we're not, but we have. And then I remember a couple of us being admonished, uh, belittled, maybe a bite word, about when we suggested they copied the French model a couple of years ago. It now seems to be very topical, doesn't it? Let's bring in the French regulation on finances. And I just laughed. You know, I just looked at that and I thought, oh, my goodness me. But anyway, enough for me. I think we know there's a there's a governance. I mean, going back to the, I think there was a question in there, Casey, at the start and around governance and, and things like that. The whole game's broken from that point of view. Um, and the championship, to be fair, I think Nick's right, is is no different in some ways. Um, it's different challenges and different problems, but it certainly has its own governance issues. Um, part of that probably is because we don't we're not entirely sure who runs the league in a way. It's it's obviously the RFU's league, but the Premiership is very very certain that it's PRL, albeit that PRL then reports back to the club. So it's a very strange circumstance we find ourselves in. There's not many businesses that, that you would have that way. Um, you know, we need better decision-making structures and we need the right people in the right positions is, is really the crux of some of that. Um, we're probably very lucky as well, sat here thinking about the three of us, that we've got really supportive boards or chairman or directors and and that probably helps us, um, whereas that isn't the case at all, all the clubs. That might be because we're three of the probably, I won't say bigger clubs, I'll say more long-standing clubs in, in the championship. Um, yeah, Rebecca, I don't know what, what your thoughts would be. Yeah, similar really to both of that. I think, like you say, governance across the board has been broken for some time. And it's, like we said earlier, it's probably not a shock that it's happened, but it is a real shame that it it's affected, you know, hundreds of people's of lives in such a way you know, that was kind of foreseeable, really. Um, and I just think, you know, somebody is accountable. Um, and unfortunately, that lands on the RFU's laps. Uh, so unfortunately, probably, they've kind of had it coming. I mean, lots of us have been stating this for many years, and that they need to, to kind of get their act together in support of the championship um, and rug the rugby structure as a whole, really. It's not anything new. And I know the three of us in particular have been had a lot of chats over the years about that that kind of setup. But I do think it needs a massive overhaul um, and one that's been a long time coming. And hopefully, you know, like I say, it's a really sad situation that it's affected so many people. But I'm really hoping that this is the catalyst to really sort out the structure going forward. It's kind of sad, isn't it, that something so, you know, just yeah. dreadful for so many people and two clubs is potentially the thing that 
that hopefully makes people hit the the reset button and, and make people realize unfortunately us three you know having worked in this industry for many many years between us I think we've probably always deep down known it was going to take something like this for a major change to happen um because like you say you can bang the drum and and try and kind of voice your opinion as the championship for so long but it's fallen on deaf ears for a while do you think there will be change I think there has to be change yeah I think there has to be I would agree there has to be change well let, let's let's tell Let's delve into this because I'm, I'm kind of acutely aware as someone that sort of sits on the periphery of it now, but I'm sure much closer to the league than, than our listening audience. And the, the and it's maybe highlight Nick point, Nick's point, a lot of the, the governance and a lot of the, the process seems to be done with, you know, a, a degree of secrecy. And that's that's the people that, are, you know, stakeholders are, are even employed within the game. So to the, the general audience, a lot of what the gripes, understandably, that this group and many sort of, I guess, holding senior positions in rugby clubs in, in both leagues will, will have and maybe lost a little bit on, on the wider listening audience. But what we do have as a result of this last week, sadly, it, it is some consequence. And what that could mean for the league, um, you will have seen, as, as I have, that there's various suggestions about how the structure might get changed and what, and what changes might get brought in. One that seems a relatively popular or relatively sort of a, a suggestion that seems to be getting a bit of momentum and traction in the media is the proposal of two teams of 10 and sort of a, a premiership two. Again, ironically, alluding to Nick's point, seeing how, you know, the, the, the championship all of a sudden be brought in as this uh, really, really important cog and influential part of the professional game, which has perhaps been looked at as a bit of a poor relation of the past. So first off, I guess a question and a complete open flow on this. What do we think will happen as a consequence of the two clubs? Falling hard times in terms of what happens next for those two clubs. I know there's a degree of the unknown in terms of whether buyers are found, etc. And then I guess what do you think should happen? And this is I'm talking structurally here, and in terms of promotion, relegation, uh, and restructuring of the league, and even the professional game. I know the professional game agreement is due not to be readjusted till 2024, is it? But if we get sort of opinions and debate around around those two points, I think there has to be change. I couldn't guarantee there would be change. I mean, look, there's also a chance that Worcester and Wasps come through this. We don't know yet. They will appeal. There is a, a brief chance. I'm sure Mike, that might be one of your next questions. But, that you know, we don't actually know. What, what, what's, what's the opinions on that, just broadly? I think I'll probably let somebody else jump in a minute around the what we think and where we think it'll go and, and actually what our opinions will be. The first part is that I don't think anything of, of that nature will change until... The following season so the actual and a lot of people won't know this we we all will because we receive the information i guess but it is and should be public knowledge that following administration and if they do survive was some worcester would come down and they would be in the championship which would result in the championship obviously being oversized in the current situation i don't disagree i i, I mean how good was our league last year you know in terms of you know how good was that and yet we go back to the you know, we go back to the commercialization, you know, and I sort of thought well, maybe, you know, we talk about structure game growth altogether a little bit here because we've all got, we've all got good views, good ideas. We, and, then, and the nice thing is we don't all agree on everything, which is even better because debate discussions valuable. We don't have enough of that, you know, but, you know, we are guilty of dumbing down our league ourselves as clubs because, joking aside, we're not given the opportunity, or the right people aren't given the opportunity to pick on your point earlier to express 
professional opinion, ideas, suggestions. It doesn't get to the top table. But, you know, I hope they survive those clubs is, is my first and foremost point. I hope they do. I hope they come back. You know, they can add some, you know, they're the part of the fabric of the game. Where they come back is down to them and their personal business. I've sort of taken that view. But I do hope they come back, you know, and, and if they're in the championship, great. Hopefully, the, you know, if, if that's not and the rules change or, or regulation goes against them, then, then so be it. They work their way back up. But we've got to deal with the here and now because, you know, how, how does our league look next year? I think that's the most difficult bit, yeah. yeah. When, when you're, it's kind of, we, as championship clubs, we feel a bit like we're back to, you know, when COVID happened and it was, we were kind of left angling and every month it would be like, well, you're going to start in September, October. Oh, it will be December. Oh, no, January. You're definitely going to start in January. And then in the end, it's March. And I feel like, you know, we're kind of at that point again as clubs going, right, so at what point are you going to tell us when anything is going to change? Because, you know, it's like, well, you don't have to plan for anything. You don't have to sign a squad of players or recruit or, or do anything like that. You know, you know, we'll leave you hanging until the last possible moment and then we'll let you know of any changes. We allow that to happen, Rebecca. Yeah. We, we put well, up with it. Every year it goes on and they do it on purpose. They leave yeah. it, leave it, leave it. So we just take the crumbs on the table in, in, in May and June. We've got to be that. We've all said this, so we're not speaking anything different. We've all said that should be done now. 12 months notice. Let's market, sell it. Now, we haven't even got a league sponsor, a cup sponsor. I mean, I, 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 you know, I, I just don't I need know. Need an agency like somebody from you know Sport Five to just take it as a project and say, look, I'm going to make this work. <laughs> yeah, Mike, what are you doing, Mike? Come on, Mike. <laughs> you got any time on your hands, Mike? You know. <laughs> uh, I, 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 we've we've talked about this jokingly though, Gareth. I'm in terms of a, a commercial proposition, and like I, 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 I think for the money that'd be asking, the championship could be sold for. I'm not going to put a figure to it now, but I know we've privately put it, and I, and I don't think it would be. As hard a sell as some quarters make out. We don't want to um, sell it, Mike. Yeah, we would, would requ- it would require a degree of collaboration between clubs and sort of like combined assets to be part together, which I know there's a lot of in sort of tribalism within the league at times and maybe a, a lack of unity to sort of give us, a, I guess, combined rights and propositions. But I think if you could overcome those hurdles, there is obviously, there is, there's certainly. I, I'm all for a highly centralised approach to this. Uh, it's got, it, you've got to look at the best examples in the world, Mike, haven't you, in the world? You know, look at, you look at North America and how well it works. You know, we're not trying to be them, but you, you go to a lesser extent to Australasia, you look at the AFL, the NRL, you know, and then you look at the French model. And between all those models, we get that one that works for England. And we've got to remember one that works for England will be different and, and there'll be variations. But it, we try to, you know, and again, we, we, as clubs, we've got off our backsides and tried to do blueprints and, and, and there's some, there's some that was never going to appease everybody, uh, you know, and I'm slightly biased in that because I was involved in, in the latest one, but it was never designed. A, it was never perfect, right? Let's be honest, but it was never designed to be, but it was about, provoking thought but the disappointing piece and, and, and take individuals out of their personalities because they should never come into it the the major sticking points with the academies we got that but they can be moved you know you have b academies at championship or premiership two clubs and you have a academies you know wh- whatever you want to do there's ways around that never got that far but it's kind of booted out the door because they didn't like a person or a person's 
And that's wrong. That sums up the limitations of the game. We've got to get beyond that. We're not all going to agree, but we've got to align ourselves and take ownership of, of this. We've got a real opportunity as championship clubs. You know, my, my, click, my message is, you know, we've got to get together and have a common mission, understand our purpose. And if we understand our purpose, and, and it'll take a little bit of time, but if we don't, we're gone. We're not here in 2024. It has changed and it's been expe- you know, expediated with, with what's happened in recent weeks and they've started looking inwardly a little bit and we are more valuable to the piece because, you know, you know PRL, PRL didn't dream up 10 teams this month. They wrote a strategy paper over 12 months ago that said in 2024 they wanted 10 teams. So let's not kid ourselves where they want to go and I've been wanting to go for a long time. That means they need a place for free shareholders effectively. But I mean, for me, share, shares only came, only came really common about five, six years ago. I, I can't remember anybody talking to them for the first 15 years I was in the premiership, if I'm honest. And then they're just a self-protection mechanism. Let, let's not get away from it. So let, let, let's, let's be realistic about what we need to do here. We've got an opportunity to drive change. It needs to be the right people. You know, I mean... Rebecca, you're on one of the groups, aren't you? You know, for change, what what's what we call. I don't know how it's going, but you know, I look at the groups and there's some really good people in our league, experienced people, you know. No, no disrespect to say say the competition structure, but you've got Mikey Rea, you've got Paul Turner. Christ almighty, they've seen some things in the time. They know rugby, but they're not involved in it. You know, even John Barnes, John Barnes is trying his best about this new proof of concept cup. He went back to them and said, we all want to be in it. And they've ignored him, completely ignored the championship club's views. Because what they're going to do is just put the top six in and leave the bottom six, or the Prem clubs might pay, play you. We all know that they won't play you unless they're forced to play you. You know, it's just, just silly things like this. So that, that, you know, really sort of drives, you know, frustrates me in terms of this isn't hard to solve, you know. You know, if you look at the key things that we need, you know, we've got to look at those best practice models around the world. You know, we need to live within our means, definitely, in both leagues. You know, we have to have high minim- minimum operating standards because this is accelerate growth and commercialization, playing standards, et cetera, et cetera. It needs to be accessible to everybody. There's got to be a route, you know, it's got to be equitable from the grassroots all the way to international level. We've got to provide, you know, People go on and, and, and we've got different opinions about the Amptils and Coldies coming in our league and their facilities. You take that away by putting money aside for aspirational clubs, right, who work with the development people and development fund and get their facilities, their infrastructure, their playing models up to speed. Ready, if they're ready for promotion and, 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 and gain promotion, they add value when they come into the league above. We can't disconnect from the national, you know, the community game, the national leagues, the grassroots. You know, but you know, and we are, you know, let's be honest, we've got to understand our purpose and we're there as a platform to develop the next players, next coaches, administrators, et cetera, et cetera. I think minimum standards are, are crucial. Um, I really do. I think if so, and I think it's all linked. So we talk about the structure, we talk about minimum standards, we talk about commercialization. Look, I do understand some of the challenges in trying to sell a league that has, you know, 3,000 at one game and then 300 at another. Um, and, you know, we and the facilities and the recording and filming and everything that comes around it and the broadcast revenues that, that we should be attracting to haven't. I think a lot of it stems from 
it hasn't even been tried to to be sold and that's the biggest problem so we haven't got any data to prove whether they're interested or not in it but i do think they're all linked and if we see even our podcast mike with mark evans who's been to be honest he'd been talking about two leagues of 10 for elite professionalism from day dot and certainly 10 years ago and he was also talking about ring fencing as part of that which is then a bit more emotive and and certainly i know nick would disagree as he's saying there about structure and certainly everybody in the championship i speak to would disagree and our board included but i i do think that there is merit in in kind of less is more but i do worry at the same time that put in 10 in the premiership that don't then suddenly think that means there's a there's 10 in the champ and and that's prl too because that that isn't on the table yet we want it to be in the conversation you're going to split up the championship in a way uh and there's going to have to be a conversation around that as nick suggested you know they they may well go down the top six type ideas for cups and different things well, well when can you set that governance because if you so just at bedford right now if you tell me it's top six and, and we're borderline then we would have thought about investing differently at the start of the year to make sure we're in that top six. We'd have thought differently about how we approach the season and things like that. And, and Nick, again, makes a... God, I hate saying Nick's making good points, but he's making a lot of them. And, and one of those is about the experience that exists within. You know, we've got Mike Rea of you know, 20 years experience. At, and, and not forgetting just Bedford, but also with Wales, with Cardiff, you know, and there's a lot of good people in the league that have gone on. I mean, there's... there's there's so many examples and it's just a shame that that we haven't had enough of a say in, in this, but hopefully that will change. And and I, for what it's worth, I think that idea of, of two top top tens, I was always supportive of with Mark and, and Bedford. You know, we would be right behind that in terms of especially these three clubs. And I can't speak for, for any others, but we are ambitious and we want to play at the elite end of the game. But we're also realistic and we want to make sure that we're sustainable. I do think there's only enough room for 20 professional teams in this country. I absolutely agree. Uh, and I think, but they need to be funded properly. And I don't mean we are premiership, we are League Two, League One, you know, League Two get the same as League One. But when you go up, you get the same as League One. The same old argument everybody's having about competition and fairness and the quality. I think that's really key. Uh, you know, but, but then additional help to grow facilities, you know, look at the funding that's out there. You know, I mean, you know, you go back to different, I mean, like, Rebecca, you've got your challenges down there. I've got challenges trying to build this stadium out. You know, you know, just having that development fund or access to expertise, you know, just, it's, a wider, it's a wider picture that we've got to paint and provide here for the game. I mean, finance, I mean, I don't know why me and Nick are even talking about we've got a, an accountant and former Deloitte specialist on the course. So, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Rebecca, yeah, what, come what on, Rebecca, get, them, get your magic wand yeah. out. I've been trying 12 years. <laughs> yeah and it does come down to that obviously I fully support the the kind of 10 team two tier structure as well and not only like you say because of the number of professional teams or the aspirations of clubs to be in that kind of elite professional level because there's a lot of you know excellent clubs as we know the championship has huge huge value but there are some teams who just don't aspire to being you know, that fully professional setup, they're happy with kind of where they are. And that, as you've alluded to, Gareth, presents its own challenges in terms of, you know, having a kind of minimum standard for commerciality and filming and everything like that. And I think there does come a point where you do have to try and streamline everything so that you can become more sustainable as individuals and as a league um, 
because at the moment we are a bit of a hybrid league and whilst it's brilliant in terms of the rugby and and everything that it brings it also presents its other challenges so yeah I do fully support that and I would hope that uh, when looking at that that both tiers would be supported you know financially to uh to a better level because as we know that it's poles apart at the moment and and considering we are the clubs that are developing players yes we may not hold you know the academies but we are giving game time to a lot of those academy players so we are by nature developing the players but with very little reward for it so I do think the whole financial structure needs to be looked at as well yeah I, I think that's a good point and I, I think we shouldn't be afraid to define what full-time means either. I don't know, you know, I, you know, full-time could be, because, you know, my my time in the game, the best players at a weekend are the ones that have got something else going on in their lives. They make less mistakes and they play well for you. So what does full-time mean? Does it mean 7 till 12 and then they go and do something, learn, study, work? In the You know, you've got to balance that out, but yeah. you could, we, we can control the destiny of that and the journey. You know, that's that's our narrative to own. Yeah. You know, it doesn't, you know, and then Prem, League One, Prem One, whatever you want to call it, can be different. And then if you get up there, you flip, obviously, because you've got to change your operating model. But we, we can't be scared of thinking outside the box and changing things. You know, we've got to be really adventurous. Nice. And ultimately, that's down to DORs and head coaches, however much yeah. they want to train their team. They can have a squad of however many. And if, at the end of the day, if they think it's more beneficial to rest them or sit them in a classroom or not train them, give them something else to do and they go out and perform at the weekend, then why not? <laughs> it works. <laughs> Some good points, I think, from, from all three of you there about what, what the league can do to sort of set up our position and to, and to grow and to move forward and who who we bring in. Um, look at, looking at the sport, and again, this is obviously in, in reflection to what we've seen, like more broadly, and particularly in this country, and as I say, if we just take our championship lens off for a second, do we think the sport has an issue? And do we think the sport has an image change? And when we talk about sort of new ideas and new thinking, and I know, Nick, you've referenced like being closer to the, the grassroots game as a, as a championship club, but I think you know, being around grassroots clubs, there seems to be certainly a, a decline in the amount of sort of, certainly at senior level, people playing the game. And we talked about good people in the league and, and bringing these guys in. And we've also talked about governance and the right people in the top table with regards to the RFU in the championship. But the sport in terms of its image and its commerciality, do we think that needs a rethink? Because ultimately, what happens at the top of the game will filter down. There might be there might be that foot on the throat of championship clubs that we've been battling with for, for, for decades. But a successful sort of sport, speaking on a more macro level, surely translates into benefits at tier two. Yeah, I mean, just jump in here and, and say, obviously they are connected and and, and you're right, Mark, you and I'm speaking with our community and foundation staff the other day and just, I think, you know, concussion and, and, and the, the whole piece around that is quite scary at the moment and it's having a bit of a knock-on effect. Talking about numbers just in their classes and not being able to, you know, almost parent permission before signing up to rugby now in the same way as as boxing rather than in the same way as cricket and football. So, yeah, I I still, well, I wouldn't say I lace the boots up, but I, I get on the training pitch occasionally. And um, and I think numbers have, have dwindled consistently. You know, teams that used to rock out with five, five sides on a Saturday are now struggling to put one or two out. So, you know, the knock-on effect is that the game is 
is not in the best position. Obviously, we know the RFU took funding away from the community game, but albeit, I would say there was reason for that. It's a shame that there wasn't right then an opportunity to work with the clubs and actually the championship clubs, again, biased on that. But I think there could have been a strategy to utilise our community structures, our setups, and already are working in those communities better. But we won't, we won't go there. That's probably a separate podcast. <laughs> um, so I do think there is a problem. Um I think there's a problem from the top to the bottom. I mean, probably Nick's probably equipped to talk about the, as a former performance director with, you know, even from, I think, Sale, Worcester, Northampton, you can talk from the that top level and how that, that's changed. And obviously we can all see the cognitive difference in that. And people are, there's less physical training, there's things around that. But the game has got a bit of a brand issue. That said, you know, I think our game is brilliant. I think our values are unbelievable. And I think they can be packaged and sold differently. And I think you can think outside the box around that. Um, you know, there's no problem with NFL sales, is there? And yet, it's quite frankly scary, some of the stuff. In fact, I think I saw Charlie Beckett, who's been doing a podcast um, for us, and, and, and kind of tweeted a video of horrific kind of head injuries not getting monitored at all. Yet, there's no commercial aspect in their, in their game that has a problem. So... I do think they're not related completely, but I do think there is a problem. What, what about you guys? What, Nick, what, what's your thoughts? I think there's a connection problem. I think we've the elite game has, has lost its what it's there to do. You know, I think that's that's a, a real worry for me. I mean, we, I can only talk about we're really community focused. You know, we have a big community. We're CB1 postcode, so we're in the middle of a city centre, so it helps. But we try and make a difference and and, and you know, removing those barriers. But I just, I think that we've got to help those clubs. And that's why I talk, you know, one of the, you know, when we, if we talk about funding, we've got to fund the whole game properly from international all the way down. The money's got to flow all the way down to the, the level 18 club, the level 10 club, the referees, the schools and the education piece, you know, and, and the world rugby will decide what happens with the tackle laws. In fact, we can't get too worried about that, but they're, they're going to have to do something, can't they? To, to save the game, but you, you are right, you know, you, t- you take your little lad to j- junior rugby and they make you fill a form in, can he do contact, semi-contact and no contact? And what message does that send? I mean, public schools are now doing that, so, which historically have been the bread and butter, but are, are we being diverse enough? Are we going into the state schools and delivering enough, etc., to grow the game? You know, they're probably outside our remit to talk about, but they should be factored into, uh, you know, if you've got X amount of money at Bedford and Cornish Pirates and we at Coventry to deliver community and academy programmes, we do them properly. At the moment, we're self-funded everything. The bits that people don't see, you know, they are, if you do their, you know, give the money and the PRL to premiership clubs and it's, it's, it's forced community and forced academy, you know, but we've got, you know, we've got a situation now in the Midlands where two academies have gone. Nobody's come to us and said, do you want an academy? We'd love one. <laughs> well, I, we would love one, though. You would love one. You know, you know, and what comes with that is 410k of central funding. You know? And, and you know, Doncaster are the same. There's no one in your, you know? So we're all running them and funding these programmes ourselves. You know? And that's why I say, you know, where there's a differential between, you know, we've got an initiative here where we do coach education for free in the junior rugby clubs. That's our connection piece. So we'll cover everything, you know, from nutrition, concussion, awareness, the medics, you know, and, and, and it's quite powerful. And, it, you know, and, it, and it, it buys you some credit. 
we're having to, we're having to buy credit because of what's happening at the top of the game, and that's frustrating because it's not us as clubs. We're trying to do our bit, but we're being tarnished because of what's how the game's been run. Uh, I do. This is a that's a completely different topic to discuss. To be honest, and we you could talk about it for hours, but. You know, we do do well in the community and we try and promote the game. We all do very good, you know, very inclusive. We bring them to matches. We have the players out, the coaches out and everything. And we run camps. So, again, with a little bit more funding, how good could it be? I think there's a responsibility at the top of the game for that. As, as, as Gareth Rent mentioned, I think that the brands and values of the sport are, are impeccable and I think there's a repackaging thing to do there I think you mentioned NFL as well and the sort of difference in commerciality I think two key things that you see in how the, these two sports are put together I think you've got a talent program in American sports and we see it in football as well that far supersedes what we have here we're very much more club and sort of less representation and I think you've got a sport that's always been sort of open to trying very new and it's about ideas that are very much sort of about razzmatazz and commerciality whereas I think some of rugby's tradition could be what ends up killing it I think that the sort of the 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 the, the cement feet lack of attitude to sort of change and maybe you know have a halftime show at a Six Nations game where, you know, all your Blazer Brigade are going to go to the bar and not watch it anyway, but you might get some more people in. Maybe, like, let's build up these these talents that people are interested in. Your, your Genjis, your Itojis, your Smiths, make them, in, make them into personalities so that they're on the front page. It's not aligned with traditional rugby values, but from a commercial perspective, it would sell far better. Rugby hasn't got a video game. It's it, it, And I know no developer would, in the right mind, would invest the money needed to make a decent one either, but... In terms of like developing the next audience, it's a massive issue. And then there's a pretty shy commercial the TV deal that we've got with a lack of international sales from it. You know, the B, what's the BT Sport worth deal worth, Gareth? 120 over four years. Yeah, I mean, it always feels quite good to us. But yeah, you're, you're right <laughs> compared to compared to the French one and stuff. And I, be careful we don't go too much off track. But uh, yeah, I agree. I think it's difficult. I mean, you mentioned a video game that it did in '95, and it was one of the best video games that existed in Jonah Lomu. So you know, what, are we going backwards? Are we not finding that global appeal? Have we just not got Jonah Lomu again? Um, you know, th- there's there's a lot of wider issues. Um, I don't get too distracted by some of them because I think I've got enough of my own issues uh, directly. And I think, you know, for us, we've adapted to, to our model. And actually, I, I know that Nick and Cobb continue to do some great work and some outreach. We've had to, and, and certainly Pirates are as well, we've had to adapt our model to be to remain sustainable by going part-time. And actually, we can't do all of that we want to achieve with the players because guess what? They're doing another job and, and and literally we're burning them out. And it's so difficult, whilst also, by the way, they've had to take pay cuts and have, you know, all the challenge that, that came with that period of COVID. So, you know, just on where we are as a champ, um, you know, we do not limit ambition. That's one thing I, I hate gets tarnished sometimes with Bedford. We are realistic. We are adaptable. We've had to change with the times and we haven't got, people willing to write huge checks and, and just bail it out and there's, I'm not against you know the clubs that do have that fair play to, and there are clubs in the champ that rely on that I think it's important that we don't forget that we grow the actual brand and success of those clubs that compete in it it is no good sending clubs up with really small attendances no facilities and no ambition or business model to be successful at that table and you know, that's the harsh realities of it is that to grow the game we're going to have to grow the leagues and grow the clubs that are within it but the powerful message there, Gareth, is we we have changed. We have cut our cloth to our means. 
we've done it. We were one of those clubs that, you know, the void was filled by an individual, you know, and we've still got the individual, thankfully, there. But, you know, his level of contribution is realistic now, you know, and, and that will get to a point where if he chooses to put money in in the next two years, he can, you know, which is a great position to be in. But it's like, uh, you know, but we've shown the game how to pivot to a pandemic, you know, and, and there's great learnings. We have to stay current, though, Mike, going to your point. Your point's really valid. Is We're not current. Are we in touch with... with Society's changed. We see it with players, don't they? They're completely different to what they were five years ago, never mind 10 years ago. You know, I scratch my head when, when Alex tells me about some of the things. I'm like, really? You know, and you think you've seen most things. But, you know, we, we've got to be forward thinking and stay current and be adventurous. You know, fortune favours the brave, the old saying, doesn't it? We've got to be that as a group. Guys, I think we're probably coming towards time now. So thank you very much for your your time this evening. Um, and I guess we'll, we'll just end the, on behalf of the sort of the whole Championship Clubs pod team. And I'm sure the wider Championship rugby family and the rugby family, you know, our, our thoughts and best wishes to all of those affected by the sad news um, at Worcester and, and Wass. And uh, hopefully there's a, a positive outcome that comes out of all of this, not just for those teams, uh, for the professional game more broadly. That was the Championship Clubs podcast. Be sure to come back in a fortnight's time and follow us on social media at Champ Clubs Pod on Instagram and Twitter. 